Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Outkick 360 is back for a big week. Glad you're with us. Hope you had a great weekend. Show number 65 across the Outkick network. Alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton, Lance Lee, Jakob Swanson, David Reed, the chairman of the board, Regan McCrossin and Jake Popoff, our production assistants today, Becca Risley, Sleepy Danny, and uh, the rest making the show happen for us down the hall as we broadcast live. In Studio G, Nashville, Tennessee, Blackbird Studio, the Blackbird Academy. Uh, they do a fantastic job hosting us each and every day. And you can go to school for audio and studio engineering, theblackbirdacademy.com for more info. Gentlemen, good morning. Good morning. Excited, energized, back for another week. Show number 65. Feels good. Feels good to be here. Feels good to be here with you guys. And uh, ready to get after it starting today for an entire week. Let's make this week's mantra getting after it. That's what we're going to do, Paul. This is the best of the cricket shirts that I've seen so far. I love that shirt for some reason. And cool. I continue to hate that shirt, Chad. I'm sorry. I completely disagree on this being the best cricket shirt. And I, I, this is a nice shirt. But cricket makes such a fine shirt that Hutton wears so many of them. I, I wear one every day like, this week for you. I would put this like 12th on the list of cricket shirts that he has. I like and it's the, still I like a really good shirt. I like the texture of the green. That's what I'm saying about it, yeah. I like the texture of the green. And we'll just go right past the collar on that New Balance shirt over there. Uh, let, we have so, so many headlines to start with. Uh, Tennessee Power Hour coming up in an hour. We'll get to what the Packers president, uh, Mark Murphy, had to say most recently about Dumb. Aaron Rodgers. Dumb. Uh, Christian Erickson, uh, who collapsed on the field uh, at the Euros and the TV coverage of that. Travis Kelsey speaking about the Cleveland Browns and where he feels like they'll be at the end of the season. Uh, there's a pro golfer who I'm going to play golf after the show today. And I've been reading a story on what happened to him in the opening round last Thursday for, for him on tour. I hope to par uh, better than fare better than what this guy did on, on a par uh, five hole. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. NBA playoffs, uh, one team advances, the Phoenix Suns sweeping the Denver Nuggets last night. Chris Paul goes off, uh, has a, a fantastic performance of 37 points and affected that game start to finish. Uh, meanwhile, the MVP ejected in the third quarter. Jokic going uh, too hard on a, a swipe of the arm of, uh, of, of the Nuggets player, uh, or excuse me, the Suns player, and he's ejected for a flagrant too. Yeah, when getting after it goes wrong uh, was Jokic on that one. Uh, another example of getting after it going wrong was the Nuggets fan that got his ass <laughs> whipped yeah, he did. by a guy in a Steve Nash jersey that used ultimate dad strength. Uh, Outkick has put this video clip everywhere. I'm sure you've seen it. Um, we, I don't know if we can even play it because uh, YouTube has rules. 
So, but uh, I will say that uh, that Suns beatdown on the court was also symbolic of what happened off the court with this guy in a Steve Nash jersey showing ultimate dad strength uh, against a Nuggets fan that was lording over the top of him, and he pulled him down to his level, and it was uh, a very, to see. very casual beating. Just lit the guy up with very little effort. I, I, I can't recall seeing such a mismatch in a crowd fight where the guy who egged it on just got beaten up and walked away with the jersey over his face in shame and blood, covered in shame and blood. Um, and he got what, I, I don't know that anybody deserved it, but uh, don't egg on a fight if you can't fight. Yeah, and this guy couldn't fight. That's like me egging on a, a physical fight. That's what would happen to me if I egged on a physical fight. That's why I don't get in physical fights. Well, get in verbal fights. If I were going to fight someone, I'd have to be pretty worked up emotionally about fighting them. Yeah. So I'd be almost like shaky. Right. You know, after adrenaline. the fact or when it was going, the adrenaline would be going. This guy had no adrenaline. This guy's fought so many times in his life. I mean, he was taking breaks to talk trash Boom. to his buddies. Yeah. Hey, look above at him as he held gonna, him down. Uh, That's I'm, a guy I'm who's over been here in talking, fights. but I'm going to punch this guy nine times while I'm talking to my buddy. That is a guy who's been in a lot of fights. He advances in our bracket. Yes, yeah. he does. This yeah. foul. Moving right on to the next round. This foul, first off, um, look, we see these fouls all the time, right? Something happens bad, and you go and commit a frustration foul kind of as an answer and maybe to add some juice at a moment where things are just about out of hand, but you're thinking maybe I can spark some energy here. I just, uh, you know, look, I talk about this all the time, but these games just get stopped to sort out flagrant one, flagrant two. Are NBA fans in favor of this? Like, do we need this level of breakdown of these fouls? Because to me, this is the number one thing that kills NBA game flow. And I, I don't know that it needs a 20-minute review to break down flagrant well, one, flagrant two. Uh, he brushed his nose. He did hit him in the nose. But ultimately, he's clearly going for the ball. Yes. He clearly just wants to make an aggressive foul. He's trying. He actually doesn't miss the ball by that much. I, I, I'm thinking in the moment, I'm thinking, how does the MVP of the league, with his team down 3-0 in a series, get ejected two minutes into the third quarter uh, and what where, was it, eight at that point? Well, he's got or 22 10? points, 11 rebounds. Uh, he's 9 for 17 from the floor. I mean, he is their offense. He's their, their guy. He's the he's MVP. Their, and he's their chance in this game. And he's also the leader. And as a leader, he was trying to change the rhythm and the energy of that game by having a, uh, taking a hard foul on campaign. On, on Cameron Payne and brushed his nose Came like this. as he swipes for the basketball. And they go and review it. It's a flagrant two. I didn't think they were going to eject him. But, you know, the NBA for you, uh, they're soft when they want to be soft and hard on stances when they want to be hard. And this was extremely, extremely weak. Is a flagrant two an automatic ejection? Yes. I just, it's too much. Just... You know, make some judgments in the moment without this textbook, you know, carved out thing. Well, and this is where uh, the NBA finds themselves in trouble at times because how many league MVPs in the last 15 years would have been ejected for that's that? That's exactly in a playoff uh, that, game. That's in, exactly in a deciding what playoff game. I know they're down three or they're probably not coming all the way back. LeBron, but in an elimination LeBron is game, not getting ejected for that. I don't know that anybody I mean, I'll should go, be ejected I'll go down the for list. it. I don't MVPs think Kawhi Leonard is getting ejected no. for it. Uh, name an MVP, you know, in the last 15 years. I just don't think they're getting it. And I'm not saying this is like some anti-European stance by the no. NBA with Jokic. It's just weird that 
of, of like you said, Hutton, picking and choosing your battles and deciding to be Mr. Tough Guy on certain things and completely soft on others, I thought it was bad. And I think if you – this is where NBA officials and officials in general could be smarter. Paul, you're right. It doesn't take 20 minutes to review t- a, a video and see what happened. You can also determine intent. If you know the game well enough and you know what I'm trying to foul the guy hard to prevent him making the basket looks like as opposed to I am pissed off and frustrated and I'm punching a guy in the face. It's clear to see what that is. I've discussed this a lot. The common fan doesn't understand when someone trips someone, they intended to trip them. They are professional athletes. This does not randomly happen that often where you accidentally trip someone. You can see when someone is trying to trip someone. I think you can pretty clearly see when someone is trying to hit someone in the face. And when someone happens to graze someone in the face while they're trying to commit a hard foul. And Two look, different things. And, and if you get hit in the nose like he did, we've all been there. That hurts. Like, it, you, your eyes well up, whatever. I'm not saying he was faking anything there. I don't think he was. Like, he got hit in the nose a little bit. And when you get a glancing blow to the nose, it hurts. But a minute later, he was fine and walking away from it. I don't think he felt like he got clubbed in the nose with great intent. It was an accidental hit in the nose while the guy was clearly swiping at the ball. And I'd take the MVP thing out of it. I don't know that anybody deserves to get thrown out of the game for that, whether you have no, a big pedigree or him. not. MVPs in the NBA get preferential treatment, yeah, period. Yeah, no, that's a fact. This but guy I'm, didn't. Saying, I'm saying this guy didn't. I don't think a, a scrub deserves to get thrown out of the game for that. A scrub would. Well, a scrub will get thrown out because the MVP had a hard foul and a call. But, like yeah, that, that's right. how they would treat him. Uh, here's I also, when I get back to intent, Officials would argue, we can't judge intent. we got to go letter by the yeah. law. I disagree with that. You are the ultimate arbiter things. of the game. You judge. can judge intent. You can look at it and you can say what happened. And if it was Draymond Green or someone with a long history of cheap shots, maybe he gets thrown out. If it's Rasheed Wallace in his heyday with the Pistons, Bill maybe you toss his ass. Don't toss Jokic, the league MVP, they would, on that they wouldn't have. when they it's wouldn't clear have gone he's not to, trying to hurt they him. They wouldn't have gone to look at the replay with Rasheed Wallace. Yeah, they, he would have been gone. Well, <laughs> no, no, I think it was era. just a hard foul. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, I see what you're saying there. But you get my point of part of the intent could be player history and what you're looking at with that and knowing what's going on. But I, it doesn't take uh, some sort of basketball savant to watch that play yeah. and see that this guy's not trying to hit someone in the face and injure them. He's trying to commit a hard foul. I think that we can give up some responsibility to the officials to look at that and determine, and I'm okay with that. I am too. This does not need to be a letter of the law. Well, his hand grazed his nose, so he's out. No. You can look at it and you can tell when a guy's trying to injure, and you can tell when a guy is committing a hard foul. Two different things. Yeah, it's it's just too much. Plus the time. Like, it's just too much. Like, if you can't tell quickly on the thing, then, then you got to go back to the, what's called in the moment. They're, they're, you got enough guys out there to see it, two angles on it. Meanwhile, Chris Paul, uh, on the opposite end, he was great the entire game. But after, after that ejection, he, he took over. There was a, an eight-minute span or a ten-minute span where he hit eight jumpers, mid-range jumpers. Um, you know, not long range, although he's been great in the series from long range. He's shooting 58% or did from three in the series, the 4-0 sweep. Averaged 26 points per game. He had 37 last night, 62% from the floor. 41 assists to five turnovers. CP3 
is leading again. And the Suns are a series away from the NBA Finals. It's remarkable. And uh, 16th year in the NBA for Chris Paul. And uh, we've got a, a tweet that we're going to show you right now from uh, the Athletic NBA that shows just how dominant he was from mid-range. He was better than the entire Nuggets team from mid-range in the series. 22 for 34, where Denver was 15 for 52 from mid-range. You can tell the shoulder's feeling better now for Chris yeah. Paul. He had mentioned it's not ever going to truly heal until he can take time, a lot of time away from basketball. But obviously with that, that mid-range efficiency, his shoulder is feeling a lot better. Uh, I love seeing – I don't know that it's a total you know, career resurrection because Chris Paul has been good for quite some time, even if he has dipped. But seeing a guy in year 16 play at this level – and I remember our, our buddy Keith Bullock, former Titan, early in that uh, Lakers series – tweeting something about Chris Paul, calling him Cliff Paul. You know, it's always Cliff Paul about the State Farm ad showing up in the playoffs, and until Chris Paul will show up, they're not going anywhere. Well, Chris Paul is showing up now, and Phoenix, one of those teams, I'd relate it to the early days of the Warriors when they started yes. their dynasty. There's something about them that's fun to watch, high scoring, love, love their offensive sets, love the way they move the ball. This, this Suns team is, is one to watch. I don't think the NBA ratings are going to be through the roof without LeBron and the Lakers, but it does allow for some air for some teams that are rising. Now, for people to pay attention to, I would pay attention to the Suns team for that reason. Hut, did you and I go to a Suns game when we were out there with the Titans? 2018? No, I didn't. I ended up going to dinner and you went out. Went. You went. Oh, yeah, you met. were. You, I know where you were. We went. They were awful. Awful. That, that's one of those turnarounds. I mean, it hasn't been that long. I think that was 2018. So I, I love when teams in in span of a couple of years turn from, you know, we were screaming. At, we had pretty good seats. We were screaming at the coach with some little kids to put the last man on the bench in. It was one of those, <laughs> one of those kind of games. Well, they get the winner of the Clippers and the Jazz, a series that Utah leads 2-1 with the game tonight in L.A. with a chance for the Clippers to tie the series at two games apiece. Uh, and then in the East, it's Philly and Atlanta, where the 76ers lead 2-1. And Milwaukee and Brooklyn, a series tied at two games each in, in that series. So, um, Brooklyn's banged up now. Yeah, I don't that, know if Harden's that, that game is actually back, tomorrow night Kyrie's on TNT. Get the Undertaker, Jeff, ready for Milwaukee uh, rising from the dead. <laughs> That's yeah. all I think about those last two games because they were buried up in Brooklyn and looked like they were not going to be competitive. They looked like the Nuggets against the Suns, and they bounced back and uh, got two huge wins. And now, uh, with Brooklyn as banged up as they are, with uh, uncertainty surrounding both Harden and Kyrie Irving now, that's any one series. Coming up, the NFL leads the charge in many areas, and one of them right now is the way that they're directing the media to cover practices, games, interviews, and we're seeing the NCAA follow suit. That's straight ahead on OutKick 360. Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. Alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Glad you're with us. And we broadcast live from the Blackbird Academy and Blackbird Studios in Nashville, Tennessee. Over 14,000 square feet of rehearsal space. They have it all here. And you can go to school to do this as a profession. Studio engineering, audio engineering. As things open up and you want to get back out to concerts and 
you wonder how you can get in that line of work, this is how. Right here at theblackbirdacademy.com. Theblackbirdacademy.com. They do great work right here in Music City. Concerts opening up full capacity. You've got uh, sports opening up full capacity this fall. The NFL continues to only allow players and coaches uh, in what we refer to as gang-ups, where all the media is on a conference call, a Zoom call, uh, with said player or coach. You don't get one-on-ones unless you're Peter King, um, un unless you're uh, Albert Breer. They're not going to complain about this coverage because they're going to continue doing what they do, uh, which is be handed access and handed players after big games, and more power to them for that. Uh, but we're seeing this trickle-down effect now to other sports. And the NCAA and college baseball right now is one of them, where they are encouraging media to stay at home and cover Omaha from their home offices uh, in their boxer shorts and over Zoom instead of going to the ballpark and covering it in person and getting one-on-ones and actually covering the fabric of the sport and of this tournament. Uh, this, this should not be allowed at this point in time. I mean, uh, the, the media, the teams that are involved, uh, where it, we, we see Tennessee, I see highlights of Tennessee winning. Interviews are going on right outside the ballpark, one-on-ones. But you can't do it inside the ballpark. It's pathetic. Yeah, and you look at our market. We're in Nashville, Tennessee. It's a, a huge story with Vanderbilt and the University of Tennessee both going to Omaha. Um, it's a, a rather dead time in sports, right? The Titans will have three days on the field uh, over the next three days, and, and football goes on pause, its most legitimate pause, for uh, you know over a month. Uh, hockey's dead. NBA playoffs in this part of the uh, our part of the country are, are a distant thing. TV stations, in particular, are dying to go to this for live coverage, and they're being told not to go. Mm -hmm. Now, I wonder if any of them go anyway, but you can't do a live stand-up in an empty ballpark between games or, you know, the morning of, of games to set the stage even, or at night after the games are over to wrap up what's happened seems entirely too restrictive. I think here's my biggest fear with all this. First off, my fear is the growing fear among everyone, everyone. People are either afraid of the virus or they're afraid of being uh, saying that they're not afraid enough of the virus. If you're uh, an organization, NCAA, NFL, anyone else, they're afraid of litigation. They're afraid of a fan having a problem. They're afraid of social media. They're afraid of their players getting their feelings hurt. They're afraid of their co. Everybody is constantly afraid. But here's my concern, Paul, to what you're saying. The fear is now leading to a very convenient excuse for the NCAA, for the NFL, and soon to be for almost everyone else. They don't want media there. This is, this is the problem. It is more work for the NCAA to allow all of these eight teams to have all their media come into town, to have organized events around media being there present, not just on Zoom. It takes more manpower, it takes effort, and they don't want to do it. And let's go to the NFL, leading the way with a lot of this. And Hutton, you mentioned it about Peter King's going to get what he wants, but pretty soon Paul Koharski's not going to get what he wants, simply because they don't want you there. This is a lesson to all the media. They don't want you there. We need media there. They need to be there. Paul Koharski's of the world and everyone else that covers teams, they need to be there. But they don't want you there. 
And now they've had one season where they had the fear excuse of all of this to lock media out, and guess what? They found out they kind of liked it. And that, to me, is what has me legitimately afraid about the future of covering sports is this is going to become a permanent deal. Well, they control the message more that yeah. way. Well, the NFL is Teams a, will control their own message. The NFL is a different deal because of how massive it is. College baseball is not massive. College no. baseball no. is at a, it's growing, though. They need media. It's growing, and it's, it's establishing this time on the calendar as its own, right? They need media right now to continue growing it. They're carving out. Uh, right, we talked about not enough being on TV and established and stuff, but in the next week or 10 days or however long this takes to play out, it's more uh, present on the higher ESPN channels. This is its window. Why do you not want to maximize your coverage? Like Chad's talking about, it's an annoyance, but it's an annoyance you should embrace. You shouldn't see it as an annoyance. You should see it as an opportunity. You want as much publicity for the College World Series as you can get as much as you can get and when you've got teams from places like nashville in it where it's not the only game in town where it's not the only thing in town and you can get people going as they did two years ago to vanderbilt to to watch games on campus my son was going with friends to watch it on the big screen and they were excited about it well, you know, are they going to be as excited about it if, if the only thing on, on the screen is, is the game and you can't hear from the guys? You know, just think, there, there are permutations here you're not thinking out. The NCAA is not thinking out. Well, and I just don't. Well, it makes no sense, Chad, because there's going to be 24,000 people at this stadium. Yeah. But the media is not allowed in. There's going to be 24,000 unmasked people <laughs> in the stadium. Yeah. And, and the media is but not But don't allowed. you dare bring a camera and in I, and do and a stand-up. I'm, I'm willing to bet. I don't, I don't have the scientific data in front of me. I'm willing to bet 95% of those media members have been vaccinated by now. Yes. Also. Look, if there are still reasonable precautions to be taken, the media will take them. Look, uh, I'm vaccinated media. If you if you want me to wear a mask in order to go in the locker room, I'll wear it, even though I find it unreasonable. If you have some sort of regulation that you need me to take in order to protect your unvaccinated player, I'll do it. But that's not why they're doing. I know, I know. But that's what I'm saying. I'll go. I'll bend over backwards in order to meet your requirement. They're pointing to that, not wanting us to bring up the fact that it's just a whole lot. Easier on them oh, yeah. to have three players sit down in front of a camera and take a group of questions instead of facilitating individual interviews and chats on and off the record. They don't want to do that. But anymore. it does not and serve their brands well either, and they 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 lose. But there. I mean, AJ Brown not being exposed to individual reporters yeah. hurts AJ Brown. Yes. Yes. Now, but, benefits Ben Jones. But, Paul, but why it, is the benefit to Ben Jones more valuable to the Titans than the exposure for AJ Brown? It doesn't. I don't know why they don't get that. But I, what's reasonable and what's unreasonable has been blurred during all this, too. Because, Paul, you're saying, you know, if they say wear a mask, I'll wear a mask, even if I've been vaccinated. Well, that's unreasonable, right? I mean, scientifically, yeah, I'm saying it's, I'll do it's the unreasonable, unreasonable to get in there. But, that's, but this, is where, this is where when you allow those, the unreasonable to take place, they're going to get more and more unreasonable. Because you could always say it's safer if you stay home to media, right? You know, we've had some issues on uh, the roadways around Omaha. We've had crowd control issues. Like, you could always come up with any excuse to do it. In the height of college basketball season or the NBA, it's flu season. Everyone's going to be sick. 
You could tell all media, you know, for the next three weeks, don't show up to our event because you may have a cold or you may have a flu and that may affect others more than you. This is the truth. This is reality. I'm not saying that they're doing that now, but when you allow, when you crack that door open, people are going to start letting the excuses flow through that door and they're going to start doing more and more things that they're going to hide behind the mask of fear or what's right or what's safer when in reality they just want to do it. There is an unnamed fast food place close to my house. I'm not going to say it because I may want them to be a sponsor one day. But they have decided they're going to close down their dining room. It's all drive through now. You have to go. You can't go in the dining room at all. This is not out of health and safety. This is out of convenience because they have found they can staff fewer people yes. and make a lot more money because that drive through at night at a certain time, you can go ahead and put it together what it is, <laughs> at a certain time after dinner, that drive through is going to be packed with people leaving a ballpark in a game. And they are going to make bukus of cash every single day. And it has, it, it's not reasonable that you can't go in and eat your meal or eat whatever it is you want to eat at this place inside. And I, I really do get the sense that they're going to keep allowing unreasonable things to happen in sports. And one unreasonable thing is, let's just not have as much media around ever. Let's bare bones it. We're going to get our message out. We're going to allow our people around, but no more open locker room. No more this, no more that. That's what I fear is going to happen. Here's one that I've heard even from the media. Like, oh, the Monday coach press conference the day after, that's going to stay Zoom. And even the media, the media saying, yeah, that's not that bad because it's, it's a lot more convenient. Oh, it might be more convenient for you. It's not more convenient for me. Because a Monday press conference, when you're asking a coach after he's had time to evaluate how the game Watch unfolded the game. and to look at film and to consider decisions he made, when there's already a horror factor involved if you try to ask a second question when you're called on that's a follow-up, when that's taboo, at a press conference, I could follow a, a line of questioning and interrupt my colleagues to well, pursue that line of questioning, or my good colleagues will stay on that line of questioning with me. And God forbid we might collectively ask five questions on the same topic in a row to pursue something to its end and get some sort of conclusive answer on a line of questioning about a timeout, about a fourth down call, about whatever topic. That's impossible right now. And instead, you would catch grief for asking a follow-up question, for now, asking more than one question. I might question catch on grief end. in that live situation, but I don't care. And it's possible for me to cut people off and continue on that line of questions. It's one question, move on. One question, move on. Right. And right? I might get a follow at the end where I go back to something that was asked 10 questions ago. But you can't pursue a line of questioning. And in a locker room, you can have a full conversation with a guy. You can take him a play and say, tell me what was happening here. Or you can talk him through a scenario. And, and if you're in a group, you can wait until the group is over. And you can ask. Even if it's a big group thing where PR is saying, we're done so, here, you can say, hey, two, two more things on that play. You know, And occasionally, at least, see something through for thoroughness. So where, where are the, the national media members uh, who carry a lot of clout? Uh, and we're talking NFL now. Peter King, Albert Breer, you know, the, the columnist on a weekly or a daily basis in some cases, Schefter. I mean, these guys, and look, they, they have built up this reputation and they've earned it. 
But they can sit back right now while the local medias of, of every market have to go through this and know, and, and Florio's included too, and know that on game day, these PR staffs are going to handpick and feed them certain people, certain players, uh, certain coaches to get that layer or two deeper on a specific play. Well, I would now, divide that where group. this may not happen is like at the Super Bowl, where where I know Peter went a layer or two deeper uh, on a specific play call. With Andy Reid. Um, but after a game where players get on buses and go, you know, go to the go to the, the, the tarmac to fly out or they're walking to their car, they're handed a cell phone from a PR guy and Peter King's on the line. That's how this works. I've been on the NFL sideline before where as, as a network reporter working on behalf of the team, you are bumped for national media, CBS coverage locally, uh, columnists that want to, to get on, Spanish radio. You get bumped for all these different factors. Those markets, th- those avenues will continue to be served. And meanwhile, the rest of us will be gathered together and you'll be asked to jump on a Zoom call in the back room. It, it's ridiculous. And, and for the media members who are just on board with it out of fear because you agree that it's all about COVID, get out of, get out of the funk. I, I don't understand why, why you're just jumping on board with the policies that make no sense in full capacity stadiums and practices where coaches aren't allowed to be, uh, must be vaccinated to be on the, the practice field. Players don't have to be, but they can still be out there unmasked. All of these rules don't add up and fit together. I it's all say, very convenient. I don't think there's a single person in the Titans press corps that is abiding by this uh, like as a pushover. Everybody wants back in or at least some stage, like let us talk to players coming off the, off the field, which is what we would be doing at this stage anyway. Um, you know, all, all of us fear that it's going, it's gone, it's not coming I back. Don't, but personally, I don't hear anybody speaking up other than us about this. Yeah, well, I, I, don't, I don't hear many I don't, people I don't talking know. about it at all. Yeah, I don't know how many and, and, of them and here's, but consider here's, it their platform. And honestly, I don't know how much it's we're their going job. To, I don't know how much we're going to impact it. It is going to take Peter Pro King Football Writers Association is pushing like hell. Lindsey Jones is pushing like hell. Uh, and you know, I, people like Dan Pompey, who's a national kind of guy, he knows how I'm important it is. He's pushing. NFL, Peter King's pushing for the it NFL on our will behalf, the even though he doesn't this. need it. The NFL will set the standard for this. Yeah, for, for, for all the other sports. Yes. Now, baseball's giving it back a little bit already. You're allowed now to talk to players on the field, like mm-hmm. in batting practice kind of thing. So they've won some back. And it's big in baseball. I mean, it's big in football, don't get me wrong. But in baseball, there's a dailiness to it. You're around these guys every day. Imagine if every day you had to be on Zoom. Um, and they still are games. on Zoom. I mean, we have it every day in football in that we're covering it on a daily basis. But they've got games to report on every day, and they're only doing it by Zoom. And you can't work on anything in an interpersonal no, they, Yeah, way. they still are on Zoom post-game. Right, but uh, during the day. And pre-game. Yeah, you can work on something that's not game-related, at least, with a guy on the, on the field. That's some progress in one of the major sports, at least. I, I would worry about unintended consequences if I'm the NFL or anyone else taking this stance against media being around and, and pushing them further and further away. Because in one instance, the thinking is it's easier for us doesn't take as much manpower to run a Zoom conference as opposed to a bunch of media being in-house around it. And we get to control our message. 
We get to tweet, we get to write, we get to, you know, a, a local example, the Jim Wyatts of the world that cover the Titans for the Titans website, they get to write what we want them to write. We get to tweet out videos we want and we shut them further out. Unintended consequence of that is you are creating more and more of an adversarial relationship with everyone who covers your team. And I put covers in air quote for those that are watching on, on video right now because you're not allowing them in. There is no cooperation at that point. When you push people further and further away, you think that you're controlling the message. That's one message. There's going to be a thousand other messages of people who hate you because you've pushed them away. And it's not going to be this spirit of cooperation with media relation departments and with journalists that cover teams simply because they've been pushed away and now the market is all adversarial. I don't think that's good for anyone. No. You create more opinionists, you create less informed opinionists, yep. and you create less qualified opinionists. Now, can is we... that smart or do you just want Paul Kuharski and Joe Rexroad to be the opinionists and other people to be more reliant, uh, you know, and us to be journalistic opinionists as opposed to everybody now thinking, well, I can't get access to guys. I'll I just mean, write what I think. You're not going to stop that regardless. Like there's going to be a bunch of opinionists. But the problem is when you have people that are quote unquote journalists mm -hmm. that have been there, when you push all of them away and now they join the loud opinionists online that aren't informed about anything, then you've got a bigger problem. So while you can't stop online opinion from formulating anywhere, if you're a pro league or team or a college league, whatever it is, you can help it by being more cooperative, allowing the, the baseball, the original example, college baseball, allow as many people as that want to, to cover your sport within reason. Every website, every team's following, bring them in. Bring them in, show them the event in Omaha, get them on your side. You're going you're gonna to catch a lot more flies with honey that way as opposed to saying stay home and cover the event from your living room because we don't want you here. What, so let's, go, let's tie it back into the NCAA and college baseball. What are they really concerned about? Like the media horde of those who cover college baseball showing up in Omaha where the most, the most they'll have in a given day will be six games, right? I think so. As you continue to advance yeah. and play elimination games? That even sounds like a lot. This but, yeah, is also how you no differentiate yourself as a media outlet to the team. Who goes and who doesn't go, right? PaulKuharski.com last year went to the Titans games, even though there wasn't much access to be had. Mm -hmm. Why? In part because I wanted to continue to show. I am all in on covering this team. I'm going to be there no matter what while most media outlets, all but, all but a very few, did not go. Well, and were content to stay home and do their Zoom. I got a little extra for being on the road, but I want to make it clear to management and even to players who might see me in some way, shape, or form, I'm here. Let me follow that up by an example. Invested. Titans Radio, one of two radio teams that made it to every single road game last year. And the reason why we did that, in part, we... we of course, it's better to call a game in person. Just listen to some of these terrible broadcasts of, of the regionals and super regionals where ESPN's forcing their broadcasters to be from home. Um, and in some cases, Major League Baseball still doing it. Doing it, yeah. Braves are doing it. That was Almost the, everybody's doing there's it. There's a fear there with networks across the league where the, the thought was, if we don't go on the road, 
and never, we prove that you can call again. a game from home. Do it well. It, yeah, and we can't tell the difference. Never send us again. Then you're going to be off the road. You're going to keep. You're going to keep the cost at home. You're going to save that money, and your broadcast team is going to be calling a game from a studio, watching on a monitor instead of taking that group on the road with you, game to game. And so the precedent would have been set, and we would have done it well. We would, would have, have pulled that off very well. It was more difficult to travel the way we did, but we did it because that's the way it should be done. Uh, and th there's a quality to that broadcast being live that is lost if you're not there. And a lot of the networks are in the same boat as these teams right now, where they're totally fine not sending their employees to these games. They're totally fine having the ESPN.com reporter sit on a Zoom call and then write a quick little staff report. And saved a bunch of money. Yes. Well, now look, if, if the economy's in the dumps because of a pandemic um, and you're saving money that way, fine. You know, in a one-year extreme case, do that. Here's a big issue, though, th that I have with all of this. If you are a media company, if you're Bally Sports, and you buy all the Fox Sports regional networks, and you're, you've, you've got the Braves now, right? I'm watching the Braves yesterday. They're down in Miami. There are fans scattered about the stands. Granted, it's Miami, a Marlins game. Not many fans are there, but there are fans of the building. But yet Chip Carey and Tom Glavin are back at Truist Park in Atlanta right. with their entire TV crew calling the game from there. While it's cheaper to do this, there has to be a set cost of doing business. If you are a media company, you have to look at your announcers being at the game just like having satellites and cameras and everything else you need to have a broadcast. If you have to get creative and sell a travel sponsor, whatever it takes, you have in. to cover the cost. Th this cannot be an option. Right. Th this cannot be an option. And it's increasingly becoming the option. Because there are plenty of people who say, I want a job covering sports. I want a job calling games. I'll stay home. I'll do it. Broadcasters need to step up and say, no, this is not the way to do it. We need to be on the road. If it takes you calling a business you know and finding a travel sponsor, do it. Mm -hmm. Go to the games. This, I hate that this is now an option. And now that it's an option and they're seeing how much money they're saving, it's going to be the standard. And I hate that. And it's an option, like Hutton says, because people have done it well. Because people are good at their jobs, they've made it an option. Not is everyone is, though. No, but some are. Like, uh, the Yankees crew, I think, has done a good job being elsewhere. And now their sideline reporter, they, how awkward is this? The Yankees are still at Yankee Stadium for road games, but their sideline reporter is in Philadelphia because she's on the field with the players before the game getting some news nuggets and stuff. So they go to her to say something from the booth at Citizens Park, but they're in New York. <laughs> It just and this all ties in together, where it's all a cost-saving move or it's convenient. Yeah. So another broadcast uh, situation over the weekend. When something really bad happens at a game, we tend to really break down how the broadcasters handle it. I think ESPN is getting too much grief for how they handled something terrible happening at a soccer game over the weekend. We'll discuss that when we come back. But first, MyDrHank.com. Look, erectile dysfunction affects over half of all men. It doesn't have to make you feel like half of a man. Since 2017, MyDrHank.com has been making America hard again. MyDrHank helps you get low-cost ED meds and overcome the psychological and emotional barriers to getting ED treatment. You don't need to be embarrassed about this. It affects over half of men out there. But if you want something discreetly shipped to your home, 
My Dr. Hank can do that for you, and they're going to ship it from a U.S. pharmacy. All for as low as $2 a pill, plus, Paul, a great offer. Affects half of men, and you can get it half price. If you go to MyDrHank.com slash OutKick, sign up to receive 50% off your first subscription offer. So first time you do this, you pay half price. MyDrHank.com slash OutKick. Christian Eriksson in stable condition after he collapsed in the Denmark-Finland game on Saturday morning. Alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Karski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. And if you're watching on YouTube, we appreciate you. Join the chat at the Outkick 360 channel. We hope you'll subscribe. Ring the bell every time we post new content, both during the week and on the weekends. All of our content at the Outkick 360 YouTube page, and you can find the podcast. Big podcast weekend, by the way, with some of the numbers we saw this morning. Appreciate that. You can find our podcast wherever you download your podcast. So I watched this live. Uh, it was very jarring. It took me back to, to Hank Gathers years and years ago. Um, and uh, it's, it's impressive that they revived Erickson, and obviously everybody's relieved that he is okay. I think ESPN took unfair flack for how they covered it. I texted you guys immediately when it happened. I know Chad was in front of the TV and flipped over. Uh, a lot of criticism for how ESPN handled this. First off, it's not their feed. It's UEFA's feed. At a lot of these international tournaments, you're taking the feed of the, the governing body. But I think UEFA did a reasonable job. They never tried to really edge in there to, to poke through the guys who were surrounding Erickson, his teammates. And very rarely did they show a, a close shot of that group. There was a lot of crowd reaction. There were a lot of shots of teammates' faces. There were a lot of shots of, of uh, teammates and the other team on the bench. And mostly it was a shot, a wide shot of the field where you saw that there was an event going on over in that far corner of the field. I thought the two commentators, um, Derek Rowe and Ifan Okalu, uh, had a, a pretty good reasoned conversation where they consistently said, you know, we, we don't know exactly what's happened here. We don't want to speculate. They set the stage. It's a very difficult time for a for a. a a play-by-play -play guy and a commentator. Uh, but then I read Richard Deitch this morning at The Athletic talking about how much flack ESPN took for the way they covered it, that they should have shown less, that they should have sent it back to the studio sooner. I, I don't think they should have sent it back to the studio sooner. I, I wanted to see there's news happening, right? I'm not saying go nose in on the news. But taking us away from the broadcast of where the news is happening earlier would have felt to me like they were running away from it. I did not have a huge complaint with how they covered it. I thought it was very reasonable and respectful. I tuned in after the text, and I thought it was terrible coverage. Really? I didn't know what happened. No one said anything when I tuned in. Well, he did, a player reset. Down he did and, reset at one point. Maybe it was a little and late. I'm thinking, okay, did the guy break his leg? Like, what's going on? And you got a wall of players around there. They're holding the towels up. And the commentators, the play-by-play -play announcer, gave us nothing. There is no boots on the ground there to tell us what's going on, who's tending to him, how long he was on the ground. Nothing. Zero information other than, oh, look at the, 
look at the faces of these players. I don't know how they continue. I bet they said that 25 times. They should have reset. Instead I'll of actually that. giving information about what we were watching for 10 straight minutes. That's they, it. They, I, I didn't think it was very informative at all. I, I, I'm kind of I'm kind of a little bit in the middle here. I thought they took unfair heat for being too invasive in the broadcast with what was going on. Uh, I'm with you, Hutton. I, I, the, I understand not showing the video of him falling um, or collapsing in that moment, but I had a hard time knowing exactly what was going on other than the one image where they were Doing sort of above him and you could see CPR taking place. Like You could see through the legs. You could see actual CPR you happening. You saw that twice, I At think, the time. Um, yeah, I, I don't understand the backlash at ESPN for give the guy privacy, give, give this and that. It's it's sad that his team had to form, you know, a human wall around him. Well, they they formed the human wall around him because he's in a, in a stadium full of people. It's not for the cameras. There wasn't a camera budding in there. People made that about ESPN or about the cameras on him that they had to give him his privacy. That that was more for he was in that corner of the stadium, and there's fans everywhere. The fans told me more than anyone else in that broadcast. There were two different moments where they started cheering in that corner. And even the announcer said, I'm hoping that means good news. Because that's apparently when he moved for the first time. And you could see his head moving and his arm moving on the way off the field with that some of that Roy video they got showed. a picture right, of him and with and his eyes open and his head up a little bit. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm more with Hutton here in that I think they could have done more to paint the picture and inform the audience what was going on. I don't think they were overly invasive. It's very sensitive how you handle that. They were taking some heat for showing his wife, who was being consoled by another player. I don't see how you don't on the sideline. She came on the field. I don't, I don't know how you don't, how you don't show her. It's it's part of the story. Yes. I mean that's and part of the story is the resuscitation that's taking place. Yeah, absolutely. Stop. I, I don't believe in in holding back information for the three or four viewers or people tuned in who may not like the fact that you're putting that information out there. If that's taking place on the field and I'm tuning in for someone just casually flipping channels, I need to know what I'm watching. Well, I do think you're, I think you're correct, Hutt. I, I, I'm giving them benefit of the doubt because I was watching it through. For people tuning in later, I, I only remember one reset where he kind of went back and said what had happened. They probably should have done that more often, the, describing what happened, that he fell, that it wasn't a, uh, a knock, uh, you know. But I think they did a good job not speculating. Taylor Twelman was not great in the booth. He said, you know, I texted with a U.S. soccer doctor and, you know, it's the heart. I think that's irresponsible for him to automatically say it's the heart. I didn't think it was. He was correct. He was correct. It's not irresponsible. But he he didn't. If it wasn't a head injury, it's a heart issue. He didn't couch it enough being that it was. Taylor Twelman gave me more information than anyone on that broadcast combined. And then he was talking about how long it took for them to get to him. And he wasn't saying if that was, if he was being critical of how long it took them to get to him or not. They clearly got to him in sufficient time to deal with the incident and, and to revive him. I didn't. I didn't. I, I didn't know if people were saying they were slow there. I didn't understand why an ambulance wasn't on the field quicker, and why they didn't get him in an ambulance. I would have liked the medical person at that point to say what the protocols are and had they yeah. followed. I don't. The I don't know why there is this expectation that as announcers, as those there to cover and give opinion on what you're seeing, you're there to call what you see. There is this hesitation to say anything in those moments, where we're all asking the same questions. I want the people in the booth asking those questions. And I want the person in the truck 
sending someone out there to get those answers. Well, yeah, here's, I don't think they have have instead of sitting there just like, oh, on the, the field. We just hope we hope they for the best. We hope for the best. Here's, here's what's sad. Get to the story. Here's, here's what's sad. Here's why they're so afraid to say anything, because they still got crushed. Even not saying anything, ESPN got crushed. The announcers got crushed for being in, insensitive to what was going on. They weren't on. insensitive no. at least. They weren't insensitive at all. And here's another thing, too. Is it insensitive to inform someone who just, because tons of people, like I did when Flipping I got the text over. from Paul, I, I flip over there. I don't know the importance of Christian Erickson to Danish soccer. Like, it's not insensitive to me to say, like, by, by the way, guys, this guy is the guy in Denmark. You know, he plays for Inter Milan. They weren't even describing the player. So I, I tweet something out like, boy, this Danish soccer player, I hope everything's okay. And immediately people are like, well, that's Christian oh, Eriksen. He is the guy. I wouldn't have known that watching it. And I don't know if they're trying to balance, like, do we talk about his soccer skill in this moment also? I don't think it's insensitive, though, to inform the audience, a bunch of whom, because they said at one point, for those just tuning in, because they know at that time that a lot of people are flocking to that broadcast yes. to see what's going on. You can describe Christian Eriksen, the player, and what he means to that country and what he means to Danish soccer. I don't think there's anything insensitive about that. They failed to do that until they got to the studio part of it. Right. And, and in the studio conversation, they were talking about him as a player. Here's another example of what we were talking about in the previous segment. You know where these guys were? Bristol, Connecticut. The guys doing the game? Yeah. Yeah. So they're half a world away from the action. And you have to think it's enhanced if That's they're huge. a couple hundred That's, feet above it. That changes as opposed my mentality to several on all thousand miles away. Yeah, right? It changes my mentality on all of it. Because they're they're this seeing is a what prime only example the, of what the cameras about. give them. You know, but they're for, They're seeing what we're seeing. That's why you have, you know, a, a doctor on staff for I'm talking about for ESPN. Right that can jump in and take you through what the protocols are in a situation And they probably like didn't have a doctor on staff. They have a, an official on staff who could talk you through VAR and yellow cards yeah. and stuff. But I'm saying you got to have someone. Someone. There's a lot of people working in Bristol. An you ESPN can get someone on, on Zoom from their house. Yeah, just an ESPN Get your chief doctor. medical correspondent on exactly. to talk about protocols. Those are things that could happen quickly. Now, I don't think restarting it was the right thing. You know, they made it sound... How long did they wait? They, about 90 minutes, two hours. They made it sound like the teams said they wanted this. Well, the teams said they wanted this because they were given two choices. They were given a choice of restarting after they knew he was okay or playing the next day at noon. Those were their two options. So they took the better of the two options, but they weren't given a third option. There's no way these guys, after the emotional drain of this thing, were equipped to go out and play. And I, I, I think it would have been difficult to play the day after. I don't know what re I think they probably chose to play Saturday because at least they kept them on their schedule for their next game Thursday in some semblance of normalcy. Mm -hmm. But I think it's very difficult to ask a team to go back out and play after you've just been crying on the field and thinking your teammate's dead. Uh, but but finding even, out that he's not and that he's in stable condition changes your mentality. Yes. But still, that energy that's gone is gone. Yeah, and I don't even his teammate, Lukaku, who played for Belgium later in the day, who's a teammate of his from Inter Milan, said, you know, and he scored two goals and, and played well, he said, you know, it's a very difficult thing to go out there after you spend a couple hours before that in a, you know, state of shock, wondering what's going on with your guy. It's just a, a completely out of the realm of anything you've experienced before as an athlete. Well, it's either continue to play or go home. 
At that point, I mean, if that's what you're, if that's the concern, that was probably the well, option. I think they could reschedule it in a more favorable way for them to play second half of the game. Well, they gave them the option of playing the next day at noon. You said, yeah, they didn't like either option. I well, think they would have liked it to be then, played. Then a you're done. Bit later. Then you're done playing. I mean, what's two days going to do? I don't give them a little bit more time. They, I think you give them what they want at that stage. I don't know. I, I was fine with it starting hours later, and that's what the players voted I thought they on. started it hours later after they found out he was in stable condition. They knew he was in stable condition. It wasn't 90 minutes to two hours. It was like it was That was like an early afternoon game, I want to say, and, it, and they went to that night to restart it. No, it was about two hours. Two hours from the moment that they suspended it? Yeah. Wow. And they just picked up where they left off? Yeah. They had like a five-minute halftime, I think. Yeah, I don't know what. Because there if, was a um, couple minutes left in the first If half. the option was either later that day or the next day and they chose that day, then I don't think you, ha- you can come back and say, but we should have done it in two days. I don't I know don't what, know what their preference does. was. I know I read that they didn't like the options that were given to them. Well, I don't think there's any good option if you're Denmark and your best player. That's happened to your best player and you've watched it. I mean, I, but of the bad options, I think that was a fine solution to come back later that day and play, to play out the game. But, I mean, I think it raises two issues. Like we were talking about, you've got to have people on site broadcasting the game. Yep. And I don't like this thing. It, it's a very much a soccer thing, but I think it might apply at tennis, uh, you know, the international tennis tournaments and a lot of these Olympics where you don't control your feet. Like you're buying some, you buy to cover the event, but the feed is the International Olympic Federation or UEFA or the French Open or Wimbledon. I, I'm not positive about tennis, mm-hmm. you know, but... Well, that's how the NHL playoffs are handled right now. Is it? Yeah, the, so home, you don't, the home arena controls the feed. So you don't have control necessarily over what you're describing, which isn't the best scenario either in, in moments like this, which don't come up that often, but sometimes even on goals or stuff or fouls, you don't have... You're not able to re-show it as much as you'd like or whatever because you're not controlling what you're seeing, which is not to the benefit of the viewer. Coming up, the trouble that the Titans continue to have at the tight end position, we will discuss that. A lot has changed since January with this Titans roster, plus Tennessee and Vandy on to Omaha. That's coming up in the Tennessee Power Hour on OutKick 360. Hang with us. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.